So what word comes to mind when you think of the 1950s New York Yankees, the Michael Jordan-led Chicago Bulls, or maybe the Tom Brady-led New England Patriots? Dynasties and all of those winners, dynasty. That is the word used to describe a championship team that is royalty in their respective sport. Now we have sports dynasties and we have heads of kingdoms and political dynasties. Queen Elizabeth II's reign over for over 70 years, as well as her great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria's more than 63-year reign, could be looked upon as a dynasty. History records thousands of years of Chinese dynasties, and here in the United States, one might consider the Kennedys or the Bushes a political dynasty. One thing happens, though, to any type of dynasty. Eventually, they get dethroned. No kingdom or dynasty lasts forever, except the Davidic dynasty. Today, I chose to include David's prayer that followed the covenant scripture that we will be um, talking about today. The prayer was his response to this blessing of this covenant. Let us now hear God's word for us today from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 29. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be, and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. 
when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise you up, your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And now this is David's response to his God. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house into the distant future. May this be instruction for the people, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have wrought all this greatness so that your servant may know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is no one like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Who is like your people, like Israel? Is there another nation on earth whose God went to redeem it as a people and to make a name for himself, doing great and awesome things, driving out nations and their gods before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt? And you established your people Israel for yourself to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, as for the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, confirm it forever. Do as you have promised. Thus, your name will be magnified forever in the saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. David's rule began around 1010 B.C., and he reigned as king for about 40 years. Even though David died, God promised David that he would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
David's house would become a dynasty like no other. This amazing promise of God to David is known as the Davidic covenant. Some theologians believe that the Lord's words recorded in this promise arguably play the single most significant role of any scripture found in the Old Testament in shaping the Christian understanding of Jesus. In today's scripture, David has already become king. He has conquered his enemies and has brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. David has built himself a magnificent palace. Scripture tells us a house of cedar. But the Ark of God still dwelt in a tent. And while he was contemplating the many blessings God had bestowed upon him, he had decided a mobile home was inappropriate and he wanted to build a beautiful dwelling that was fit for the Ark of God, which symbolized God's presence. So basically, David is saying, hey, there is something wrong with this picture. I'm living in a palace, while you, God, you still live in a lousy old tent. This scene gives us a glimpse into David's love for God, a glimpse into his desire to honor and put God before himself. This desire comes from a noble place in David's heart. David expressed all these desires to the prophet Nathan, who basically just says, okay, yeah, that sounds good, do it. God is with you. But essentially, as it was, Nathan was speaking on God's behalf, even though, as far as we can tell, he didn't consult God before encouraging David to proceed with this building project. So what did God think about this? After all, it was to be his house. It becomes very clear in the next verse when God speaks to Nathan to give this message to David. Thanks, but no thanks. David offers to build God a house, but God isn't interested in what David can do for him. He's much more interested in what he wants to do for David. Through the prophet Nathan, God basically says to David, David, I don't need a house. I never asked for one. It was never my idea for you or anyone else to build one. David, by now you ought to know me well enough to know that I can't be put in a box or a building. David, I love you so much that I'm going to build a house for you. Not just some temporary structure, but an eternal house one that will never pass away. God will build David a dynasty that will last forever. After Nathan reveals God's response to David, scripture tells us that David went and sat before the Lord. The word translated sat also means to dwell, abide, or remain. David didn't just go into the tent for a few short minutes. He retreated into God's presence and remained there. 
He abided in God's presence for a prolonged period of time where David could just focus on God. We would all do well to follow David's example, but unfortunately, most of us anyway, that's the last thing we would do when our plans fail. When David retreated into God's presence, he discovered that all true worship begins not in a spectacular building, but in focusing on the greatness and the grace of our God. The promise we hear to King David in today's scripture isn't at all dependent on David or Israel's cooperation. It's just going to happen. But we also know that God is asking to partner with David and his descendants to lead Israel in obeying the laws and becoming a kingdom that is representative of God in truth, love, and justice. As it is recorded, Israel did not turn out to be a good partner. They repeatedly broke the covenant they agreed to with Moses. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and they end up losing their land and get forced into exile. It was during this time when God spoke through prophets about a time when God would restore these covenants despite Israel's failures. This hope became known as the hope for the new covenant. God's covenant with King David centers around one word, forever. In verses 12 and 13, God says that after David dies, one of his descendants would build a temple for God's name. It is David's son Solomon that would eventually build a physical temple. And there are other physical immediate ways in which God blessed Israel during the time of David and Solomon's reigns, but none of them lasted forever. And yet, we see that word forever multiple times throughout this covenant. It was not until Christ came and tabernacled among us as a living, moving temple, the embodiment of God in human form, did we find out the true long-term meaning of this covenant. Jesus is the king from the line of David, who is the ultimate fulfillment of this covenant. He and he alone has secured the throne of God's kingdom forever. And because he took on the role of both God and human to fulfill all these covenants, we are able to be restored into relationship and partnership with God simply by trusting that Jesus did it for us because we, just like the Israelites, cannot do it for ourselves. The hope of the new covenant was fulfilled the moment Jesus was crucified. This was the very means of his triumph over our enemies and exaltation to the throne of glory. In a few minutes, we'll have the opportunity to reflect on Christ's sacrifice and what it means to us when we come to the table. But before we do, I want us to read together from Isaiah 55, 
verses 1 through 5. These verses are an invitation to join in the blessings of God's covenant with David. Join me in claiming this blessing. Hear, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your earnings for that which does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Now you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Friends, God is inviting you to him to participate in all his infinite generosity. He wants to make you rich and glorious, but not in the manner of kingdoms of men, rather in the pleasure of knowing him and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen.